episode number 43 of the Actors Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and the title of this episode is Paradise Lost Part 2. Thank you for everyone for listening to last week's episode, the Part 1 edition, uh, getting a little bit of reactions, which is kind of nice. So I hope it continues on with this episode as we dive once again into the documentary titled Paradise Lost. I hope you enjoyed the show.
Hey everyone, welcome back, episode number 43. Once again, my name is Jeff Tarowski, and we continue onward with this uh, documentary, uh, talking a little bit more about it. Uh, I'm going to probably put it into three separate parts. Three parts is very rare in this podcast, but this documentary is so loaded, so full of stuff, and it's so interesting, and it's disturbing, and it's just yuck. And I actually listened to, um, I don't want to call it a podcast, but just a discussion on YouTube with some, uh, I would call them experts on this case. There's about maybe four or five of them. And they were talking about the case for two hours, talking about Damien, uh, all that stuff. And it was so interesting to hear people discuss the case because there's so much to it that it's almost like a rabbit hole and you'll never get to the bottom because there's just so much to discuss and the way people skew facts of the case, the people that haven't studied it and gone online and researched it, done their homework, um, it's quite amazing. Uh, listening to people that actually read the documents word for word and have the facts. And there's this one other podcast going on right now and it's called, um, I think it's Truth and Justice. And they have spent, I wouldn't, my gosh, I'm, I'm saying, I'm thinking it's probably, because I started listening to it, it was around, oh gosh, I think after Halloween, I think, because I was listening to it like during Christmas break last year, and they were already like 20 episodes in. His name's Bob Ruff, former fire worker, fireman, whatever. He started this podcast, and this guy... He just wants to make money. He's got a great voice for podcasts, by the way. He's got that really cool voice. His voice was meant to be for podcasts. But uh, he's diving into the West Memphis 3 case, and it's falling apart on him. Uh, he is uh, being backed. Actually, Damian Eccles himself is supporting the show, donating to it. So right there and then tells you it's a bias show. Uh, and these guys, this discussion panel I was listening to earlier today, it was really interesting to hear them talk about Bob Ruff and that podcast he's doing. And for those of you who believe Bob Ruff and what he's saying, I stopped listening after about, because it was interesting to get somebody else's perspective. I was looking forward to it. I'm like, I hope this guy dives into it and proves me wrong. I mean, I don't want these three kids to be guilty. So I was really looking forward to hearing Bob Ruff talk about the case, uh, bringing good things to the table. Maybe he did some research that we missed, you know, uh, that sort of thing. And about, I don't know, maybe 15 episodes in when I was listening to it, I'm like, this is complete BS. I can't listen anymore. So I stopped. Now, there are people that continue to listen, and they say that he's reached a certain point where it's all tumbling around him because he's <laughs> claiming that the West Memphis Three didn't do it. And I think he's realizing that, hmm, maybe they did. And I think he said in the last episode that he may be taking a break from doing this because I don't think he has anywhere else to go. So just a little insight about the case, this documentary, Paradise Lost, and my second part to it. And I also want to point out that, once again, these are my opinions. Uh, don't take them to heart. Do your own work on this. I encourage you to go out there. I think it's called Callahan's. You put in Callahan's West Memphis 3, and then you get a list of, I think it's all alphabetical, of every person 
that was questioned, interviewed, whatever. Uh, any document. You know, I mentioned earlier in the last episode, Damien Eccles spent months in a psychiatric hospital. And there is a, uh, the, the defense team got together, Exhibit 500, because there's 500 pages of documents of everything that Damien Eccles went through in the hospitals. The defense wanted to throw this in at the last minute to prove that Damien was crazy so he would avoid the electric chair. They even threw this out there. This is never explained in the documentaries. This is a big thing. 500 pages of, I mean, you should look through this stuff. All you West Memphis 3 supporters, please, if you know about this and it doesn't bother you, this kid was drinking blood, studying magic. I'm not talking about magic tricks, pulling bunnies out of hats. He was doing rituals. He was licking people's blood, telling doctors that he was like some other entity. And he said he was homicidal in his own handwriting. They have documents where he was writing down why he was in the hospital. And in his own writing, he put why he put he was homicidal. That's in his handwriting. So I don't want to hear how innocent and how. Oh, he just loved animals. I heard that. Oh, I think his dad said that. In the documentary, I think it was the first one. I think it was. Joe Hutchinson, his real father, said actually said this. He said, he wouldn't hurt anything. I saw him with the cat. He held it like a baby. That might be so. But there are reports from Jason's friend that Damien Eccles, when he was a kid, stomped on a dog and killed it. This is the man you're backing, West Memphis Three supporters. That's the that's the kid you're backing. We're gonna get a little bit more into Damien, either in this episode or the final episode, and I'm gonna dive deeper just into him, like what he's been doing recently since he's got out of prison, because that in itself is fascinating and deserves its own episode. And boy, I'm I'm going on a tangent here, and gee, surprise. <laughs> This damn, this damn West Memphis 3 stuff. Man, I gotta tell you, it's so interesting. I can't stop thinking about this case. And I don't know what it is about it. I think it's because, I know why. All the characters in this thing are so fascinating. I mean, you couldn't make this shit up. Hollywood couldn't do it. I don't think they could do a better job than the West Memphis 3 case. Just, alright. So, here we go. Kicking off part two of this episode in the beginning of the uh, the trial of Damien and Jason. All right. Before that starts, we see an interview with Jesse's lawyer and his name is Dan Stidham. Now, Dan explains how scared Jesse is and how he is. He's not going to testify against Damien and Jason. Now, Dan says, Jason I'm sorry, Jesse is petrified to go to the stand. He would have gotten a lesser sentence, and I'm talking about Jesse, if he testified against Jason and Damien. Now, Jesse would decide not to go through with it, and I think it's because, quite simply, 
He doesn't want to do it. He just doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to get up in front of anybody and talk. And especially just ratting out Damien and Jason. It's different when you're sitting in a room with detectives and lawyers spilling your guts. And it's another it's another story. Getting up in court and facing Damien and Jason. I mean, he would be looking right at them. Telling this story again for the, what, eighth time? How many times he confessed? All right. I think he was done. And he just, he couldn't do it. Uh, he was scared to do it. And the fact that he would get a lesser sentence didn't matter. He decided that, no, I'm not going to testify against Jason and Damien. And, and the way this lawyer, this Dan Stenham guy, and I apologize if I said his name wrong, but Dan, this lawyer, okay, it says that, he doesn't, that Jesse doesn't want to testify because he doesn't want to lie. This lawyer is, I don't know, I think he might just see Jesse as this little slow kid who has been just confused and, oh, he's been confessing like six times because he's just so confused. No, he's guilty. And this Dan guy, he just wants to believe so much that Jesse is innocent that he's willing to ignore all those other confessions where he put his hand on a Bible and he actually confessed to the attorneys himself. And the, the attorneys are like, Jesse, don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. And then Jesse says, I want something done about it. That didn't matter. Dan still believed that Jesse was innocent. And here is another chilling account of someone that became intimate with Jesse Miss Kelly. Now, you won't hear about any of this coming out of the West Memphis Three supporters. Now, I guess for years, rumors have circulated around Arkansas that Jesse continued to confess to his counselors in prison. So far, none of these counselors have spoken publicly. Publicly. Apologize for my... Okay, continuing. Uh, But other associates of Jesse have spoken about his more recent confessions. Many years before the West Memphis Three were released, a West Memphis Three supporter who posted on the discussion boards as True Romance befriended Jesse Miss Kelly. Her real name may have been Lindsay. Now, she wrote and received letters to Jesse, talked to him on the phone, and also visited him in prison. She immediately ceased believing in the three's innocence after having a conversation with Jesse in prison where she asked him directly if he had been involved in the murders. According to her, the answer he gave caused her to stop all contact and became a non-supporter. We don't know what Jesse told her, right? But she has never disclosed that information. But it clearly wasn't good. Now, there is an excerpt from a post she made on a discussion board. The original post can't be found, and the exact date of the post is unknown. It is possible it was around 2006. The post still exists because it was copied to other discussion groups. Now, for clarification, when she refers to the KJB that is a nickname for WestMemphis3.org founders Kathy Bakken, I believe her name is, Grove Pashley, and Burke Sauls. Here is what True Romance had to say. 
Listen to this shit. Quote, If I was going to let this case consume my life, I felt like I needed to research things more aggressively and ask Jesse some point-blank questions I never had. I felt like it was the only fair thing to do. If I'm risking my peace of mind and throwing myself 110% into this thing, then I'm going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the person I'm supporting and putting my game, my good name against on the line has, has to be honest and innocent. After all my research and questions, I found out things were much different than I originally thought. It's also different when you ask someone a point-blank question and you don't get the answer you were expecting. And don't reply to this and tell me to cite this and provide that because I did that little dance with supporters for a long time. And I don't care whether anyone agrees with me. The information I found is readily available to anyone who wants to take a look at it. But any supporter still stuck in that conspiracy mentality is only going to twist it. I was lied to over and over by supporters and consistently withheld information on that side. Once I became a non-supporter, I was offered a wealth of information, never once misled and never once forced to believe the same as anyone else. I never got that when I was a supporter. So do I believe the three are guilty? Yes. And if any supporter wants to pull this over to the other board or make fun of me or my lifestyle, my physical appearance or social class, which they've done in the past, feel free. I got two things out of this situation that you'll never have, and that is an education and the truth. End of quote. I want you to really take that in. Those who... uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. Those of you who believe that Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly are innocent... What does, what does that mean? This, if this is true, and why would this person? She was a supporter of these guys. And the more research I'm doing about this case, and those who have said, "By God, after I dig deeper into this thing, I'm scratching my head now." Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I just find that this true true romance. Her name was. And I think her real name was Lindsay. The fact that she went ahead and questioned Jesse and asked him a few questions. And she didn't like what she heard. <laughs> She's like, um, I, I got to go now, Jesse. Uh, okay, I'll call you soon. Okay, okay, buddy. Okay, bye. Love you. Bye-bye. Wow. Moving on. I ended last episode with Jesse being found guilty. Now, we see John Mark Byers and Melissa, the parents of Christopher Byers, being interviewed by the press after the trial of Jesse. They profess their approval of the decision, and they say, one is down and uh, two more to go. A quick note is the reaction of the mom, Melissa Byers. She is angry. You know, I mean, there is a lot of hatred towards Jesse and you could see it in her face. I mean, she is just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him a skirt. <laughs> I hope you like prison, Jason. And she's enjoying the fact that 
this kid might get bent over. You know, I'm going to get him a skirt. Jesse is put into a police car and taken back to prison. And the two police officers that were in the car uh, claim that he confessed to them once again while driving to prison. How about that? Just amazing. And so we continue on with the trial of Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. There's a scene where John Mark Byers says the police found a jar in Damien's room that had his son's testicles in there. This is absolutely not true. There were no jars with balls in them. None at all. And Damien in the next scene will go ahead and say, that's ridiculous. And it is. Folks, listen, I'm not the biggest Damien Eccles fan, okay? But during my research, I found nothing about testicles being in Damien's bedroom. I guess there was a rumor going around that he had body parts of kids' sexual organs in jars in his room. That is so freaking ridiculous. It's not true. And, you know, Damien says it wasn't true. I believe him on this one because guess what? Didn't happen. Crazy. Okay. (laughs) Now, the very next scene... Uh, We have the prosecuting attorneys addressing the parents of the murdered boys and they're explaining their evidence and it's solid, but it may not be enough to convict without Jesse Miskelly's testimony. And Jesse does not want to testify against his buddies. I can understand that completely. So Jason Baldwin's attorneys seen next and um, he's talking with uh, Jason Right. Uh, And the fact that this lawyer is explaining to Jason that Jesse might go to the stand and testify against you. But we all know it's not true. Right. And I kind of like this lawyer. And uh, I think I wrote his name down. Jason Baldwin's lawyer. Damn it. That's funny. I could have swore I wrote his name down. Maybe I put it in later in my notes, but when I come back to that, this guy actually seems like he knows what he's doing out of all the lawyers. I don't know why, but Jason's attorney, he seems like he's pretty good, knows what he's saying, uh, believes it fully. He's uh, a true defense lawyer, okay? And he explains to uh, Jason that this is just a, what does he call it, a dog and pony show? (laughs) Don't worry, Jason, we'll get him. The behavior of Damien in the courtroom is so damn odd. Hey there. You know, I'm just sitting here in a courtroom. I'm bored. Can't wait till this is all over. Three little boys are dead. Hmm. Whatever. Now, I guess Damien at this time was diagnosed as a mental case and was actually approved of disability and receiving social security. Can you believe that? You heard me right. This kid at the age of 18 was getting social security checks because he was wacko and couldn't hold a job. (laughs) Okay. Okay, he was so messed up mentally that he claims he couldn't work. And some experts claim that he was so mentally unstable that he was in contact with spirits and more specifically, a female spirit called Rosie. This rosy spirit would take him on journeys from time to time. And he truly believed that he would soon turn into some other entity during the trial. Just incredible stuff, folks. Just 
incredible. In some of the footage they show of Damien, he's not there sometimes. Sometimes he is. But there are other times, I don't know where he is. He's in Jason, not Jason, Damien land. He truly is. In 1992, Damien was sent to psychiatric hospitals twice by court order and once by his parents. His parents were worried about his involvement in witchcraft and devil worship. The parents were noted as saying they, quote, were frightened of him and what he can do, not only to them, but to other children that reside in the home, end of quote. And it was also said in the documents that he threatened to hurt his parents. He threatened to kill his dad with a spoon or something. Ah, yeah, and he was going to kill the mom. All right. Okay, just wanted to go ahead and put that in there as well. Uh, There are 500 pages of documents that Eccles attorneys turn into the courts. Like I talked about earlier, I have noted again, they did this, showing all of his mental history of these hospitals. It was a last-ditch effort to spare him from the death penalty. You can look at all these documents online. Eccles, in his own handwriting, reveals that he is homicidal, and this is in his own handwriting, homicidal, suicidal, schizo, manic-depressive, and a sociopath. Other information in these documents has him drinking blood. Some will say he was just a messed up kid at this time. Give him a break. I say, look the way he lives today. Look at it. It's all a cult. And I'm thinking the people that support him are into the occult as well. You think? I think they are. The occult, people. Dark stuff. Dark, dark stuff. That's what that means. Cults. Occults. Doing all kinds of... I don't even know. You know, and I am interested in stuff like that. And it's intriguing to me. But I'm afraid to look into it. Uh, Aleister Crowley was deep into that stuff. I read a few of... uh, Aleister Crowley was actually like a novelist. He was a pretty damn good writer. Uh, He wrote a few just novels. And I ended up reading a little bit of one of his novels. It's okay. The writing seems to be great. He seemed to be a very intelligent man. But the book, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll get into reading something that he wrote in the future. But I will never, ever read up on anything in the occult. I can't do it. I feel like I would be, like, delving into something I shouldn't. And, like, open something up. I'm very, no. Mm, No way. Interesting? Yes. Something that I would look into? No. And I'm going to be diving into Damien and what he's doing today. But I'm not going to go that deep because, quite honestly, it scares me. Okay. I can go on and on about these documents, but I just don't have the time. Plus, there is some disturbing shit in there. And I just don't want to mention that. Moving on. Expert testimony is next. And in the trial, there is an expert called Dale Griffiths. 
and he takes the stand. The defense does a great job in attacking Dale's credibility because I guess he received uh, his expert testimony about the occult from distance learning. Like, he was certified uh, way back then doing distant learning. Okay? And they kind of pointed that out. Like, okay, you didn't even go to college, really. But you got to understand that this guy, Dale was a police officer, and he really concentrated on the cases that involved the occult. That's all he pretty much did. So he's very familiar, hands-on, first-hand knowledge of the occult, because he was a cop, and that's where his specialty laid. Now him becoming a, uh, a case study guy, where he would go into court and take the stand as an expert witness to do that, I guess you have to be certified, and he got that certification online, which is no big deal, but really nice job by the defense to kind of bring that up, be like, oh, you got your certificate, you know, uh, through the mail. You expect us to believe you now? (laughs) Because, you know, you got this through the mail? Well done by the defense there. But Dale Griffiths knows what he's talking about. Now, the filmmakers let us get reactions from Damien's family. They profess that wearing black clothes is common in their family. They're defending their son, and they should be. But this... I don't know. This is the same family, alright, that had him committed. (laughs) Because they were afraid of him. Now... Of course, you know, it's a whole different story. They're forgetting all that stuff. They're defending their son, and they should be. I mean, really, I I get it. Uh, They're saying, oh, we all wear black. Johnny Cash wears black. So, (laughs) what does that have to do with your son Damien and and trial uh, being accused of killing three kids? Uh, Yeah, it... You know, good try, Dad. I get it, but... All right, let's see where I left off here. All right, and uh, doing my research, the cops had Damien on the verge of confessing at one point. Damien said, and this is interesting, Damien said that he was going to tell them everything, but first wanted to talk to his mom. Now, I guess his mom came in, and when he was done talking with her, He clammed up and refused to speak any further. The cop asked him if he would ever tell him anything. Or would we ever know the truth? And Damien says this. No. (laughs) Woo! Okay. Damien has a little scene where he talks about how West Memphis is like Salem because of the witch trials. And I'm not sure what he meant earlier about Satanism. He's talking about Satanism, and he mentions that people think he's a Satanist because they don't understand him. Maybe that was it. He, I don't know, just the way he phrased it was almost like, I didn't know if he meant I practice Satanism or I've looked into it and gee that makes me a bad person okay I I mean I guess if that's what he meant I get that too because I think there's people out there that are interested in it 
uh, just delving into it. And they're not bad people, okay? They're just interested in it and kind of seeing what's out there. I give them props. I couldn't do that. That scares me. But there are people out there that are kind of intrigued and they, you know, they delve into it. Hey, it's a free country, man. You can do whatever you want. Just don't kill three kids, okay? All right. (laughs) Damien takes the stand. Damien takes the stand. Here we go. He looks a bit drugged to me. Not a lot. Just like a little. Like, just to take the edge off. I kind of got that impression. You could see it in his eyes. I mean, he naturally has eyes that look a little kind of just sullen, uh, sunken, kind of droopy look to them. But a little more so as he takes to stand. I think he took a little something before he got up there to relax him. And if not, he's a smooth talker, this guy. He is. He looks very calm up there. Just, you know, like he's having a conversation. Hey, I'm Damien. And, uh, yeah, I'm on trial here. I'm impressed by his demeanor in a way. Very calm. Maybe a little drugged up. Maybe not. Damien claims he's Wiccan. Alright? And that may be. That may be. (laughs) But (laughs) it's this next bit of evidence presented that makes me go this. Oh boy. The prosecutors reveal the type of books Damien was reading. Witchcraft books. And the one thing that scared me the most is he had a book he was writing in and the inscription had a dedication to three people. His unborn son, Jason Baldwin, and Alistair Crowley. That is quite disturbing, okay, to have Alistair Crowley that high on your list. He was a master of black magic, Crowley. And some very dangerous beliefs. If you want to be completely disturbed. Go look into the life and times of Aleister Crowley. He was classified as the most dangerous man in the world at one time. Enough said. Pamela Hobbs, Terry and the rest of the family remark. How it will be hard to forgive Damien, Jason and Jesse. And it's a touching scene. The next scene is a very revealing one to me. Jason Baldwin is asked if he could say anything to the parents of the three dead boys. And what would you say? Jason is dumbfounded. He stares blank ahead, eyes darting side to side, and says nothing. He just shakes his head a little. There's definitely a scene playing in his head. Now... A kid named Michael Roy Carson takes the stand next. Now he's a fellow inmate with Jason Baldwin. He's a snitch. He says Jason confessed to him. Now Michael gets into sick detail about what Jason did that night. There was another documentary about this case uh, called West of Memphis. Now this documentary, okay, was done by Peter Jackson, a big supporter of Damien Eccles. And Damien also gave it the okay and it's probably one of the most biased documentaries you'll ever see. They claimed that this Michael kid was a snitch and recanted his testimony. That's not true. I never hear him say he lied. Just that he was sorry 
to Jason. And he also claimed that he was using drugs at the time, but never said he lied. Amazing how they could do that. I'm sure they interviewed this kid, and they had him saying, I'm sorry, Jason, and he probably is for what he did in testifying. But it doesn't mean it wasn't true. It doesn't mean it wasn't true. Uh, and uh, I want to see here. He Okay, and the reaction on Jason's face, too. Okay, when this Michael kid is on the stand, okay, and spilling his guts, it's interesting. Uh, he just looked annoyed, mostly. And me, I'd be flat out pissed and worried. Uh, because I'm like, oh, what if uh, they believe this kid? Uh, he's lying. I'm pissed and worried. Jason just looked annoyed by the whole thing. Like, this fucking prick. You know, like, I tell him this, and he's on the stand now, fucking snitching on me. Oh, I'm gonna... F- I mean, I don't know if that's true. That's just my opinion. I kind of read reactions, read faces, and kind of guess what people are feeling and stuff at a time. And uh, that's what I got out of it. So I found that to be very interesting um, and strange. But I got to tell you, you can't trust snitches, though. You, and I don't trust this Michael guy. I want to make that point, too. Um, what he said might be true. But you know what? It probably isn't. I don't buy these snitches. Uh, and if, if he's telling the truth, we'll never know, really. Because he's a freaking snitch. What if he got something for doing this? I mean, I really couldn't find that out if he was kind of promised something on the side. You know, by the, the uh, prosecution. I wouldn't put anything past any attorneys. They'll do anything to uh, win. God, it's so interesting. This case is incredible. Okay. Moving forward, we are introduced to Domini Tear. Now, this is Damien's girlfriend. She just had Damien's son in the documentary. And uh, his name is Seth. Damien's son is born during the trial. Seth. And I think his real name is Damien Seth Tear. Seth is a young man now. I found out some information on him. Kind of vague. But he lives in Arizona. He's in and out of jail for drugs. And he has a son. So get this. That makes Damien a grandfather. Isn't that special? <laughs> I wonder if Damien knows that. I, I'm sure he does. Um, but from what I gather, Damien has nothing to do with his son. Nothing. Damien and his wife Lori were in Arizona for a project And didn't even bother to connect with his son. Nice dad. (laughs) Um, You know how I feel about deadbeat dads. And Damien is a deadbeat dad. Now mind you. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and throw some credit his way here. He was in jail, prison. For like most of this kid's, you know, childhood. So he didn't raise him. So maybe, maybe Damien feels that, you know, I didn't raise this kid. He doesn't know who I am. You know. But still man. You got out of prison. You still have a son. Aren't you even curious about. You know who he is as a man. Uh, You know. What makes him tick. You're his dad still man. Don't you want to see him. He's your son. 
Maybe that shows a little side of Damien too, that character factor that goes a long way with me. That goes a long way with me. Uh, taking responsibility for who you are, what you did, uh, everything. Okay? You chose to have sex at the age, oh, he was 18. I guess that's not too, you know, that's not young. But you still chose to have sex before marriage and get a girl pregnant. She got pregnant. And, uh, you know, you ended up in prison, brah. Okay? <laughs> I mean, uh, own up to shit. Own up to the fact you have a son. Go see him. Uh, but then I thought about this. Maybe it's better that Seth doesn't see his father. <laughs> but Seth, uh, from what I imagine, uh, what my research tells me, is that him and his mom, Dominique, are actually pretty close. They really do love each other. Okay, even though Seth, poor kid, you know, it just seems like he's into drugs. Um, I don't know. I, I get the impression he's a kind of a tough guy, uh, druggy type kid. My heart goes out to him. Really does. Good looking kid, I thought. Look at, yeah, good looking kid. Yeah. Okay, moving forward. They showed Damien back on the stand. And they bring up Aleister Crowley. Damien claims he doesn't read his stuff. But he sure seems to know a lot about him. Damien is dodging questions about Crowley. There is a witness named Christy that testifies that she heard Damien Eccles brag that he killed the three boys. And that he was planning to kill two more before he turned himself in. Damien would go on to say later that he did say these things. Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I take that back. I take that back. I saw an interview that Damien gave about this very thing. They brought up the fact that there were two girls that went on the stand and testified against him that they heard him say he killed the three boys and was planning to kill two more. And they asked him, you know, I mean, there were two different girls that said this. How do you explain that? And he says that, oh... You know, back then, I was just a stupid kid. Okay, I don't remember saying that. But if I did, I was kidding. Unfucking believable That's his explanation. I would have just gone with, they were lying. <laughs> I think I probably would have done that. Then say something like, oh, you know, I was just a stupid kid back then. And if I did say it, I didn't mean it. I was just, you know. Brilliant, uh, brilliant excuse. Well done. Then another girl got up to the stand and testified that she heard Damien say he even had another kid picked out that he was going to kill next. Damien is shown shaking his head in disgust as the two girls testify. He's definitely engaged in the trial now. The Mr. Bojangles incident. I guess an African-American man came into the restaurant bloody and then went into the women's room. Got that all messed up. And wouldn't leave. Cops were called. But the man left. Before the cops showed up. The man had a sling on. And I guess he appeared to be dazed. I believe. This to be a non-issue. And a coincidence. Even Bob Ruff. That podcast. Highlighted this case. And even excluded Mr. Bojangles himself. It was just impossible for this guy to have been involved. 
I don't want to get into the Bob Ruff podcast because it's silly. Damien is donating to the show. And I mentioned that earlier. And that's all you need to know. Next and last scene I will discuss before I end this episode is Damien and Jason sitting in a room right next to each other. This is during the trial. And you have Damien and Jason in the same room this time. Sitting right next to each other at a table. Uh, The filmmakers got them together. And they're just talking. Damien describes his relationship with Jason. And how they compliment each other. They even joke about the night the cops came to Damien's trailer to arrest both of them. Damien states that he and Jason hid in the bedroom, and turned out the lights. They laugh about this. Is this really a laughing matter? I think we forget that three eight-year-old boys were beaten, tortured, and killed not long before this. What is so funny about this situation. And what are you doing. Hiding. From the cops. Guilty about something. Un. Fucking. Believable. And I have to stop now. Because. I just might blow a gasket. Okay. This was episode 43 and part 2 of Paradise Lost. We will wrap it up next week. Thank God. You know, like I said, I was looking forward to doing this. I am now looking forward to wrapping it up next week. Interesting, yes. But it's starting to make me angry. Thinking back to the fact that there were three 8-year-old boys just completely So sad. Really sad. How they are almost forgotten in this whole thing. And um, it shouldn't be that way. Those three are the ones that should be talked about more. But no. We're not. We're talking about the fact that there just might be three men out right now. Out of jail. Prison. For participating in this act. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Actor's Room, highlighting the documentary, Paradise Lost. I hope that all of you out there had a great day, a great evening. It's uh, the weekend for me. It's a Saturday afternoon, and I'm actually awaiting a phone call from Conrad's, This uh, the auto place. I got my car, needs a muffler. It was so loud. I've been putting it off. It's ridiculous how loud my car is. It's embarrassing. So I took it in this morning at like 10 o'clock. Haven't heard from them yet. They close at 5. Guys, it's like 4. Usually they call and say, well, this is what's wrong. And this is how much it's going to cost. Can we do it? Uh, Give me the okay. And I would say uh, yes or no or whatever. I need my car on Monday, man. I don't think they're open tomorrow. I hope they're open tomorrow. If they're open tomorrow, okay, I get it. 
But what am I going to do if they're going to keep my car for a couple of days? This stuff worries me. I don't want to take the bus. I took the bus for like five years. When I didn't have any money, you know, and I was broke just starting out, getting married and everything. We didn't have shit. I took the bus. When my car broke down, my car just completely died at one point. I actually was stranded in the middle of the road. Like the, the car just overheated. You know, and I'm praying, please make it to the house. Nah, I made it about halfway. It just dies. And I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing. So you like have to call the tow truck and everything. And after that, I was like, you know what? I'll save some money. I'll just take the bus. I did the bus thing. And I'm done with the buses. And, you know, I lived in New York. I'm done with subways, taxis. I like driving my own car. All right. I want my car. Man, <laughs> so I mean, actually, I'm like, while I was doing the podcast, thinking to myself, I'll probably get a call from these guys right in the middle of my podcast, which is okay. I would cut it out. So anyways, that's going on in my life. I like to do that sometimes. Tell you what's going on with my life. Things are good. They are. Uh, can't complain, man. Uh, it's summertime. It feels like summer around here. Uh, able to go outside a lot and enjoy going outside, not being completely freezing cold. It's nice. And uh, I'm kind of enjoying my summer. I want to enjoy every moment that I can uh, because it really does go by very quickly. Notification from my phone telling me that I am nearly out of power. So I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks once again. My name is Jeff Tarowski. And next week, Part three, Paradise Lost. And I will not be doing any more Paradise Lost or West Memphis 3 anything when I'm done next week. We move back to actors, movies. I know my brother Dave and I were thinking about doing someone. We'll see. Uh, Something's in the works and it's going to be, it's going to be good. Gonna be good. I almost said it. I'm like, I almost revealed who we're talking about, but I will leave it as a surprise. Uh, it'll be a two-parter. This guy had a lot going on, has a lot going on. So thanks again. Have a great night. Pour yourself a drink or two. Enjoy your evening. Put in that movie, one that makes you feel happy or one that makes you feel sad. God bless you. Have a good one.
Thank you.